a lot of times, it feels like moments in life are like that. We're just flailing about. We don't know what we're going to, like, what's we're doing, what's the next step we need to take, and we just, like, kind of just, like, wave our arms around wildly. Thankfully, we don't, like, literally stab ourselves in the leg uh, like my cousin PJ did. In discipleship in the church, which is just this really, if you're new to the church and the whole deal, it's just this really kind of churchy way of saying, like, learning more about who Jesus is and who you're called to be in Jesus. It's just a fancy way of, de- of talking about that, discipleship. And uh, it feels like a lot of times we, as a church even, not just like where you are as teenagers or anything like that, like adults in the room, does it feel like times we just kind of like are just like throwing our hands up and just kind of waving around trying to find something that works? Yeah. And so really what works is just studying the Bible just to bury the lead uh, or, or just go ahead and give you the lead on that uh, whole deal. But it just it feels like we do that and we don't really understand what it means to do that or how we should do that sort of thing. And so in our passage in Acts chapter 18, that's where we were last week, so we're going to be this week, we're going to continue moving forward in that. So you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 18, and we'll see really a prime example of how discipleship should work. And so instead of us just kind of flailing about trying to figure out like, well, how do I grow in my faith? Like if you're a Christian in the room, have you ever asked that question? Like, how do I grow in my faith? How do I understand more about who God is, who Jesus is, and the role I play in all this stuff? Well, we're going to see an example of how you should do this. It's not the only way. There's several ways to do it, but this is a really good, solid example from the early church that we'll see in this. So we're continuing our series, Live Since. So last week, we were earlier in the chapter, and we, we saw this moment where Paul was give out, just frustrated, depressed, ready to give up, and, and Jesus steps in and tells him to not be afraid, to keep pushing on, and keep sharing the gospel, and Paul does, and it, and it, and it works out great for him. And we end up over in the, what's called the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us the same thing. Share the gospel. Keep pushing forward. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you. So don't be afraid to share the gospel. That's what we're talking about in the whole deal. And tonight we're going to be talking about this discipleship, this process of learning more about who Jesus is, who God is, who he's called us to be. So we're in uh, Acts chapter 18. We're starting in verse 24. As you uh, are looking there, I'll give you a little more context here. So we're going to meet uh, a few characters here. But previously to this section, we first met... Uh, this couple that are named Priscilla and Aquila, there's a really famous story that happens later about them that ends terribly. Uh, but Priscilla and Aquila, they're important to our story. So we meet them, and, and what you need to know about them is they were off and on traveling companions of Paul. As he would go on his missionary journeys and he was in this region where they lived, they would travel with him, they would share the gospel with him, they would do ministry with him. These were not just like um, random, like, old people who love to hang out with other people. Like these were, I, mean, I don't know their ages, but like they, they were legitimate, well, well thought, well studied, well taught followers of Jesus at this point who had followed Paul and his example and that kind of thing. That comes into play. Okay, so starting in verse 24, let's read. Now a Jew named, uh, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to uh, cross to uh, Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples, to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, uh, who through grace had believed. 
And this is the last verse we're going to read and we're finished up here. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. The Christ is like this title, the Messiah, right? The Lord was Jesus. So there are a lot of different contexts in which we can and should teach people more about Jesus. There, there are different contexts in which we can and should share the gospel in lots of different ways, right? But there are also definitely wrong ways to do that. How did, in this instance, so you have this man, Apollos, who shows up and he starts teaching people about Jesus and Priscilla and Aquila just happen to be in the area and hear him and go, there's something missing there. Like he was not wrong in what he was saying, but there just was not, and we don't know the details of what it was, that some might insinuate that the phrase there where it says he only knew the baptism of John. This, this is a reference to John the Baptist, right, who baptized Jesus. So a lot of what John taught was repentance, and Jesus brought baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was repentance and then living out in grace and living out through the Holy Spirit, right? And that kind of thing. And so maybe there was just this continuation of like, yes, it's, there is repentance, but then there's more to it. That's, a, that's what we kind of assume, but we don't know exactly what it was. <clears throat> Whatever it was, it was important enough for Priscilla and Aquila to talk to him about it. Now, what you don't see them do is just immediately call him out in public right there and be like, Apollos, I don't know you do, but you're wrong, bro, right? They, they see that he is an intelligent man, that he is smart and he knows what he's doing. And so what they do, and they see that he has a, a gift, right? That he's, he is set to be a leader and those kind of things. But the, and, and that is a good context to understand this. But in general, what I love about this is what they do is they pull him aside. In, in the, understanding the culture of the day, most likely what happened was they invited him to their home. They hung out with him. They got to know him, who he was. And in, and in that context of building a relationship, they also told him more about who Jesus was and the things that he needed to be teaching and, the, and the, how to go even deeper than he already was. So it was not a call out of like, you're wrong or you're missing it. You're doing these things, right? In, a, in sort of public shaming, mocking sort of sense. It was a, let's, let's build a relationship with this guy. Let's, let's iron sharpen iron, right? If you've been around here for a little bit, you hear me quote this all the time because I believe this is one of the most important proverbs that helps us understand discipleship and what that means, growing in our understanding of Jesus. We are all created differently. We could use the word unique uh, if you want, that kind of thing. But all of us experience Jesus in slightly different ways. And that Jesus is still the same as he always has been and always will be, but he is so big and he is so grand. I'm breaking out into like the VBS song, like God is so big, right? That whole deal. But uh, he is so big and there's so much to understand about him that every single one of us just see a portion of who Jesus is. And so think moments like this, small groups, which you'll experience here in just a little bit, are huge and you going further and going deeper in your understanding of Jesus and in your faith. Now, some of you love small group. Some of you don't. I'm not naive. I know that that's how this works out. Some of you like your small group leaders. Some of you don't, right? Uh, and <laughs> that just is the way of the world. That's why there's multiple leaders running around and those kinds of things, right? But there's what I would tell you is <clears throat> nothing will help you grow in your faith like actually talking about the things of God with other believers, a Christian community. 
That's why we, every single thing we do here, we're pushing you into small groups. And what I'd ask for you to do, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're wanting to truly grow in your faith and to understand who Jesus is more, is to really lean into small group times to help make those a safe space for, you, for everyone to ask questions and not feel like they're an idiot or, or anything like that, right? To, to really lean into those times, to talk things out, to talk serious, not just to talk about baseball or whatever it is or cheer or whatever. That's good, and we should build relationships, and those deeper relationships help talk about deeper things. So there's a kind of a balance in that sort of thing. But when, you, when it comes to actually talking about the spiritual stuff, lean into that and actually talk. If you're like a person who's terrified to like publicly talk, these groups are generally not that huge. You should be able to speak and give some input because you have insight that maybe some others don't see. You might be able to help explain something more about, just like Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos aside and explained something better to Apollos so that he could understand Jesus better and what he should be doing better, you could be able to do the same for others and then allow others to do the same for you. And so this is a prime example of iron sharpening iron because Apollos didn't, what, what you don't see is Apollos go, man, forget you guys. You know, I know what I, I know what everything I need to know. I don't need you. Yada, 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 and then just roll on and continue doing whatever he wanted. Now he took in their instruction. He understood after getting to know them that they knew what they were talking about, that they had spent time with this missionary named Paul that he had heard of and in, in these kinds of things. And then later would have a relationship with, um, in those kinds of things, a, a friendship, uh, with, and, um, and so he took in their instruction understood Jesus more deeply and then was able to turn and walk out and profess Jesus even more boldly than he had before. And that's the intention of small groups is after you've heard the word here, you digest it some more, you talk it out in your group so that you can walk out of here from greenhouse and into school or wherever tomorrow and more boldly be the light of Jesus in that place. That's the whole intention. That's the whole point of all that. And that's what discipleship is. So if you've, you've been around church and you hear that word, and you're like, I don't really know what that means, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about this working things out. See, because like Apollos, he could have, like the, the details it gives about him are, in, are helpful in understanding who he was, the context he came from. So he, he was a native of Alexandria. So in the Roman Empire, Alexandria, I don't know if you've heard of like the library of Alexandria. It was like this huge, massive library that unfortunately got destroyed, right? But they were, they were known for knowledge. They were, a, they were a center of intellectual knowledge. They were a hub for that kind of thing. And so this man is from a place, and he was eloquent of speech. He was uh, competent in the scriptures. An interesting fact about Alexandria is they were one of the um, first places to have the Old Testament in Greek. It was right in Alexandria. And the scriptures that they're talking about Apollos knowing would have been Old Testament. New Testament was being written at the time that he was uh, going about his uh, ministry, right? And so he would have been really knowledgeable in what we call the Old Testament scriptures and helping the Jews. That's why he would go to the synagogues because the Jews are the ones who were most familiar with the Old Testament and help them understand all the different ways in the Old Testament that the writers of the Old Testament are pointing to the Messiah who is Jesus and helping them understand that, right? And so he was, he was extremely educated, probably more educated just in the secular sense than Priscilla and Aquila. But he wasn't so educated that he thought he, that he got to the point where he didn't think he had anything to learn. Because here's, here's the thing that I want, you, I want everyone to understand. Okay, everybody looking up? Everybody, everybody looking at me? Being smart is not knowing everything. Because you can't actually know everything. Being smart is actually realizing that you will never know everything and being willing to continue to learn more and more. 
If you have hit a point that in your walk with Jesus you feel as stale as stagnant, there's probably one of two things or maybe both happening in your life. It can be boiled down to these. You are not personally spending time getting to know who Jesus is through study of the word and prayer, and or you're not actually talking to other believers. You are not in Christian community in any real sense that you're you're learning from one another. Those are the two major ways that we push forward in our faith. And we realize that we don't know everything there is to know about God. Because here's the thing that I've realized, the more that I have studied God, I have a master's in Christian education, right? The more I have studied about God uh, in my time in existence, the more I realize how little I actually know about God. That can be a little pessimistic sounding because you're like, well, what's the point if, if I studied to know more about God and just realized that I know less about God? Uh, what's the point? Well, that's the cool thing about that is, is it actually shows you how big God really is. Because I do know a lot more about God now than I did 10 years ago, especially 20 years ago and that kind of thing. But what I know now is how much bigger God is than I even realized, which means there's more and more for me to know and to love and to understand about him. Is, it, is this all making sense? Right? There's this really common thing that's happening right now called deconstruction. Anybody, I'm not talking about like actual like taking down a house. I'm talking about like in your, in like your faith and your processing of uh, religion or, you know, Christianity specifically, anything. Anybody heard this phrase? Anybody heard this word deconstruction? Yeah, adults in the room probably have, right? So you're going you're gonna to hear about this sort of thing. And what this is, is people are reanalyzing. They'll, they'll take, usually when they get to like their mid-30s like me <laughs> is when it seems to happen a lot. Um, and they'll take and then just like reanalyze their whole religious framework. And often, unfortunately, what happens is they end up walking away from Christianity. But in every story I have sat and listened to and, and people talk publicly about of what is called deconstruction, what happens is is they start to reanalyze their, their, quote, Christian faith from their, what am I trying to say, from a starting point of what the world says about Christianity and about religion and not what the Bible says about it. They start with the wrong source of truth or lack thereof in that whole sense. A lot of times, right? They'll start to they'll start to deconstruct and tear down a lot of this stuff. And this could be a whole another like weeks of study in this particular thing. But the one thing I would tell you is, instead of getting to a point that you have to deconstruct your faith, we should be constantly allowing the Holy Spirit and Scriptures to remodel our faith. We should never think that we we fully grasp and understand all the things of God. Now, there should be concepts like the gospel, that Jesus loved the world so much that he gave himself for you, he died for you, that he conquered death for you. Like, these are things like, okay, I understand that. I get that. Like, it's okay to say that, right? But then you should never get to the point that that you have to tear it all back down and start over to get in kind of maybe in a cheesy kind of way. If Jesus is the general contractor of your faith and not you, then you're going to be built on a firm foundation. If you're the one with your faulty, sinful mind trying to reconstruct it all yourself, not based on the absolute source of truth, then of course it's going to fall apart. Of course it's going to need to be deconstructed, right? So we should constantly be allowing the scriptures and the Holy Spirit to remodel our faith so that we can better be the light of Jesus in the world and we can better understand Jesus. And all that happens through study of the word and through Christian community. 
That's why, that's, why we, that's why we gather. We don't gather just so we can put a bunch of people in a room and play some funny games and, and things like that, but it's so that we can continually remodel our faith and know more and more about Jesus. If you go to the end here, what is interesting about the working out of Apollos, this encounter with Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos, like I said earlier, he didn't just say, like, forget you guys, you know what you're talking about, and just run away, or he didn't, he didn't feel shamed. There's no indication that he was mad or shamed in any way. He took what they had to say, and then he went to the next place. He spoke more boldly. And what's interesting is, uh, if you look at the end of, starting in the end of verse 27, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through faith had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Now, this is helpful, what, or what you need to understand here that would be helpful for understanding this context, is that in this day, when Apollos would go into a town and he would go into the synagogues, it was actually culturally appropriate and common for them to, in the synagogue or in some uh, sort of like educated philosophical space that they would have created in all these different cities that they would actually debate and talk things out in a civil way and they would, they would push back against one another uh, about philosophical thoughts, about cultural thoughts and all these kinds of things. So it was, it was common in this culture in this time for someone like Apollos to step into a synagogue and to challenge those who were teaching there. And so this was not a disrespectful thing. This was not, has anyone ever gone to, I don't know, anywhere and you've seen a guy with like a giant sign uh, like saying that like Jesus hates you or anything like that or like God loves you but he hates your sin and things like that and there's a guy like on a bullhorn or like standing on a thing just like yelling at people. Has anyone experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? If you've not, that's good. That's good, right? There are uh, one phrase that's coined about people like this would be like bullhorn preachers, right? And in, in a previous time in history, stuff like that was culturally appropriate, I would say in, mo- in our setting here in America, that is not really the appropriate way to share the gospel and to be the light of Jesus in the world is to hold up signs of saying like, God hates the things that you do and all those kinds of things and to like yell into uh, bullhorns and all those kinds of things. Now, I do think there are some guys who do go out and do street evangelism and are very effective, and they do win people to Jesus and that kind of thing. Street evangelism is not the same as standing on a corner and yelling at people. Does that make sense? So this is not saying, for like in your context, it would be like you go into the cafeteria at school and you stand up and you just start shouting uh, at people that they need to know Jesus. Well, that would be really silly and ridiculous, right? No one would hear what you would have to say. They would just mock you and make fun of you and the whole deal, right? Um, so this is not saying like all the example that Apollos sets here is that we go publicly uh, refute people uh, and tell them that they're wrong about who Jesus is, right? There may be some context if you happen to find yourself in a debate. If you find yourself in a, there are settings where you could do things like that. But most often, the working out of our discipleship is going to lead us to in friend groups, in sports teams, in classroom settings and things like that through relationship with other people to share the gospel. In our setting here in America, where you are, where you find yourself, what your time in study with Christ, in Christian community and in the word should lead to is you building relationships with your peers and being able to share the gospel with them in that way. It should always, discipleship should always lead to action, should always lead to the sharing of the gospel. So if you're truly growing in your understanding of God, 
if you are discipling others and letting yourself be discipled, it will lead to the public sharing of your faith. But not necessarily exactly like Apollos did, not like a public, like telling everybody they're wrong sort of way. And so what I want you, what I want you to understand and see here is that it's just how important that Christian community is to your faith and your understanding of God. So lean in. We go into small groups here in just a minute. Maybe some of you come here and like hang out for greenhouse stuff and then you like sneak out and don't go to small groups and stuff. What I'm telling you is that you are missing a huge component of your faith if you don't go to small groups and you don't lean into those spiritual conversations. It can be weird and awkward at first if you're not used to it, but I'm just telling you in the end, it is worth every single second of it. Let me pray and then we'll actually go to small groups. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you've given yourself for us. Father, even though it's messy because we're all sinful, I thank you that you have created us in a way that we need one another and that we need community. And I just pray that you would help every single one of us understand how important this Christian community is to our relationship with you. Christ, I'm going to pray. Amen.